0: To photography from beadwork to woodworking. KQAL FM on the campus of Winona State University presents ArtBeat. ArtBeat highlights the work and accomplishments of local artists from in and around Winona. Support for ArtBeat is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today on ArtBeat, we talked to Lynn Goldfarb on her film Eddie's World that was shown at this year's Frozen River Film Festival. We talked about her reason for making the film, what it was like growing up with a father who invents toys, and how long it took to produce. This is KJ with Lynn Goldfarb on Artbeat. So I am in the studio today with Lynn Goldfarb, who's the director of Eddie's World. How are you doing today, Lynn? Oh, I'm doing fine.
1: It's, I'm, actually, I'm in Los Angeles, so it's um, it's actually in L.A., a nice sunny day, so that's nice.
0: Yeah, here, here in Minnesota, it's surprisingly nice today, so I'm happy. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even have to really wear a jacket to walk here. Wow, that is nice and warm yeah. <laughs> yeah um so you are the director of Eddie's World, which was uh, featured in the Frozen River Film Festival. Can you tell us what gave you the idea to make this documentary?
1: Well, for many years as a documentary filmmaker, I had been telling the stories of you know, of interesting people whose lives have you know, made an impact on our lives or our understanding of the world. And I um, hadn't really, you know, looked inward at my own family. And I was kind of in a little bit of a break um, uh, from the last film I had made and not wanting to fundraise anymore for a while and thought that, oh, while I'm waiting, well, I'm not sure what I'm doing next. I should interview my father, um, who at that point was 97. And, um, and, and uh, I started as a family legacy project. But when my father started talking on camera, I realized it was a film. So that kind of changed the whole dynamic. Although I did spend the first um, four days of filming that we did, which was spread out over a number of months, just because of schedules, you know, we just focused in on continuing to do, um, uh, you know, interview him about his life. You know, before we went and started, you know, filming any of the B-roll or him working or anything like that.
0: Huh. it it was it was really interesting so uh it's about your father which i i always love i i love want, see, wanting to see like what people in your family do uh and tell their stories, which i think it's great um but what what exactly did did your father do that was so interesting that you wanted to tell the story
1: well well, for actually for two reasons. I mean, I, my father's an independent toy inventor, and he's, as he says, he's probably the first independent toy inventor, meaning that he didn't work for a company but sold his items to um, toy companies who then manufactured the toys. And he was well known for a number of toys, including the Yakety Yak Teeth, which everybody knows, and stompers and kerplank and a lot of toys that kind of uh, crossed different generations of people as they were growing up as children. Uh, And so he was always famous for that. I mean, not famous, famous, but everybody knew a number of his toys. And he was always a pretty modest man. So he wasn't like, you know, uh, not a lot of Publicity. There were a few articles written about him, um, but you know, But actually, the what got me interested in telling the story was not the toys, but was his grace in aging. And my mother had died in 2013, and she died of Parkinson's, and it was a very difficult end of her life and death. And. Um, my father was um, taking care of her, um, even though they lived in, they lived in a reti- the, the same retirement community he lives in now. And, um, and, and I, I looked at him, and he looked so worn out and that he was aging so quickly. I felt, you know, just from the stress of um, being the spouse of someone who was, you know, very ill. Um, and then when my mother died, my father started walking and he walked one or two miles a day and he walked himself back to health. And I was kind of really amazed at this transformation of him. You know, that was, you know, his way of coping with grief and had a lot to do with his, ideas of optimism and creativity, he got, you know, once he started walking, he started getting ideas again, he started feeling creative, he started working, you know, again, and um, so I was actually very interested in that process, and I knew that the lens to tell that was toys, and then, you know, of course, his life, you know, which, you know, and how he, you know got to be who he was who he is and how those attributes and characteristics helped um uh sustain him as you know as he grew older
0: wow that yeah that's really interesting i i like that i uh it's always hard when you lose a partner um I, my grandpa lost my grandmother a few years ago, so he's he he was upset at first, obviously, but he he just got back into the fold, started helping people, and he got yeah. better.
1: Yeah, he just he, he he just turned his life, you know, uh, you know, around. Well, he righted, he got it back on track, you know. And at his age, you know, for a lot of people, it would have been really hard, but he was able. To do that and now you know he has a new life you know he also met Greta his gr- current his girlfriend and they have a relationship but in his late 90s you know he started a new life which is also pretty amazing
0: Yeah, that's awesome
1: and, and then certainly as I started talking about the film and interviewing him and, and making the film you know I saw the amazing fan base that he had and the people interested in the toys and, you know, how um, something that I had grown up with, you know, and I knew, you know, really how much those toys resonated throughout generations.
0: Yeah, speaking of uh, growing up, what what was it like growing up with a toy inventor as your father? Well, you know, to to some
1: extent, yeah was similar to uh, you know um, having you know, you know a father that went off to work every day. my father had a shop outside of the home. I mean he worked in his garage for a number of years, but that's when we were really young. you know and then, and then when he started being successful, he you know um, uh, had a shop that where he hired people and um, but he would bring toys home all the time for us to try out. You know, so we, like, were playing with prototypes. We were testing things. And um, uh, and, and so that was, you know, really nice. But the interesting thing was that my father, because he was bringing home toys that were in production, you know, or, you know, that hadn't been released yet, we were all sworn to secrecy, <laughs> my sister and brother and I. So even though people knew that I had a toy and then father, nobody knew that, We were never allowed to talk about any of the toys. <laughs> That's you know, funny. So, yeah. But, but the other thing that, that it meant was I grew up in a very creative household. I grew up in a household where um, my both my parents valued Innovation, creativity, independence, and um, and we also um, my father always creatively did things. So like we had like some of the best Halloween costumes, you know, because it would get all his you know creative juices going and things like that. So, um, uh, but it was a very supportive, comfortable, you know, happy family
0: that's awesome. I'm glad. Uh so you you've mentioned that you've you've been a director for quite a number of years now. Uh I was on your website and your biography and I saw that you did like big projects for PBS, Lifetime, TNT. What what was that all like? Well,
1: you know, I've always been um an independent um producer, you know, so that, in a way, like my father has been an independent inventor. But um, the difference for me was that I both came up with my own films, but I also worked for a lot of different um, productions. So uh, the very first documentary I made, which I was the producer and historian for, was called With Babies and Banners, and that was... um, a great untold story about women in the labor movement in the 1930s. And um, that was nominated for an Academy Award. So it was an incredible first film. Um, but it took five years, and I wasn't sure whether I was ready to do that again. So I left film for a while. I mean, I just thought I was a filmmaker. actually started out. Um, you know, being interested in women's history. Um, And and then when I came back to being a filmmaker, I worked for a number of years on um, series that were the PBS series where I got hired to direct produce and write for them. And then after a number of years, started developing my own series again. You know, and what was nice about working for other people, of course, is you didn't have to raise the money. And, you know, it it was always... And and working for other people particularly in series was interesting because, you know, it was a whole collaborative um, experience with other... working together with other filmmakers. Um, But at a certain point, you realize that you don't really get the real credit for your work. So I, you know... Decided, and we know in collaboration with other, a couple of other filmmakers, we then started saying, Okay, we can do this. Why don't we just develop our own series? And, and that was a matter of coming up with an idea. Um, well, so the first series that I developed on my own after, you know, working for um, series for, you know, quite a few years was a series on the Roman Empire. And um, I did in collaboration with um, a filmmaker, Margaret Koval, who I had met when we were both working on a series called The Great War. And we kind of decided, well, why don't we just do something of our own? And she found a book um, about the first century in the Roman Empire. We thought, oh, this could be interesting to do, and we'll do it kind of in an original way. Um, which at that time was doing using um, writing, surviving writings from the period, and using actors, you know, to recite, you know, um, uh, original work, and it was work from like 2,000 years ago, so it was quite interesting. Um, and we kept pitching the the the, the film series, um, uh, so. We kept and, and we kept hitting this, you know, roadblock, as, which was like, it was really hard at that point for two women, you know, to be taken as seriously, you know, in terms of pitching a story like this. So I remember it was really hard to get the, you know, attention, you know, to, to really look at this series. And we, um, and we, and, and, and so... Basically what happened is that we kept pitching it to this one company that seemed to be interested and they would like say come back with another version and we would come back with the other version and then finally you know they had a go ahead on a you know on the series and we were given the money to produce it so it was a you know a, a longer struggle than I thought it would be, but it was actually very very rewarding to be part
0: of that yeah that that sounds amazing yeah i I would understand struggle trying to get your stuff out there have people help you with it but i'm glad you finally got it through
1: yeah well i remember one of the things at that time and it was number of years about 30 years ago it was like i was they said well we didn't know there were any good women produce women documentary filmmakers in los angeles and it was like what <laughs> you know but people sometimes have a very um you know a narrow view because they don't because so much at that time and it's not the case anymore but at that time so much of the work was centered in new york
0: yeah or washington dc yeah that's true when, when you said that when you said that my jaw dropped i'm like oh no <laughs> you can't do not. that okay Okay, um, so, wow, uh, you mentioned that you uh, were nominated for an Academy Award, and I saw that you had, like, a bunch of other awards that you had also won as well. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, no, we did. And I won them as being part of, you know, a series. So, uh, uh, I don't even know. So, you know, we got this series that I... You know, worked on on the Great Depression um, and the Great War, um, where, war. You know, was World War One. Um, you know, so we received for the Great War like a Peabody Award and um, um, an Emmy for the Great Depression. We received, you know, a Dupont Award and I think we might have received an Emmy on that. I'm not totally sure. But it is interesting, you know, and part of it, and the both film series got a lot of you know attention, um, and they were really considered um, you know you know innovative and breaking some boundaries in what PBS had done before. but in in those cases, really the people that get the credit, you know, and um, get the recognition are mostly, you know, the executive producers or, you know, the people that really created it or in the case of the Great War, the station. So that's kind of what, you know, made me feel like, okay, I really want to try to do it on my own again, you know, and to see, okay, you, you know, what's possible. So. Um, but it was, you know, it, it is wonderful to receive those kind of um, that, those kind of awards. So I feel like I've, I think I've, re- you know, luckily, I uh, mean, you know, very preciously, my films have received like the top awards in television.
0: Yeah, oh, and I, I congratulate you on that. It's I, I, I would feel very proud of myself if. My films were up there as well, so (laughs) yeah, no, it's 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 great. Um, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, you've shown um some of your other films, and I believe Eddie's world as well, to other film festivals like the Los Angeles Telluride. Um, what what was it like having it be shown here at the Frozen River Film Festival here in Winona, Minnesota?
1: Well, I think it's um. It's really, uh, I mean, thats such a different experience from being in a film festival in person and um, um, virtual, you know. So I think they're hard comparisons, but what I really liked about being, you know, at Frozen River and being, you know, at, at several other virtual film festivals this year is that so many more people get to see the film than would, you know, come necessarily to an in-person festival. I mean, something like Telluride or um, Los Angeles is, is, you know, I mean, it attracts a large number of um, people. I mean, um, you know, they, they attract a large number of people. But with virtual film festivals you're attracting a lot more opportunities for people to see films that they don't have to travel to where the film festival is. And and that's actually very rewarding. I mean, I think that I've probably over this last year, or it hasn't even been a year, the first film festival we were in was last May, um, is I've, I feel like I've been able to reach people um you know, in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, you know, and, um, and that's been great, and I really love that. And at Frozen River, I was able to participate in um, a couple of the Zoom gatherings that they had, and that was really nice to be able to meet people because, I mean, the one thing about being in a virtual film festival, you're a little bit alone unless the festival has you know, opportunities for filmmakers to meet and to also meet, you know, some of the people that are um, both fans and instrumental to making the film festival happen. So I thought that Frozen River was really good in providing those opportunities.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the uh, virtual this year, um I have gone in person before, obviously because I'm here right it's right here for me, and as a student I can go uh for free so it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun,
1: yeah, I mean it's a different experience, but those connections no matter how you get them are really important
0: yeah they they can be uh so how how long did it take to? Produce and edit Eddie's world.
1: And, well, it took probably, uh, to produce and edit it, probably a couple of years. But but that's really because we were doing it kind of on and off. You know, we, we didn't really, um, we, we discussed in the beginning, we did it with no money, you know. And um, uh, um, my, my editor, Shawna Carroll, who's a great editor, she just had a baby, and so um I was able to pay her much less than her rates and she could um work while the baby was napping, you know, and so everything kind of um we you know we stretched things out, we weren't really in a hurry in the beginning um and you know I kind of get i work another job and then get back to it and so um so it's kind of hard to say how much time it actually took, but we we you know edited over a probably um, or a year and a half to two, maybe two years from the very beginning, but probably more over a year. But it's um, but not you know consistently all the time. Once we received, we did receive some money at one point, and then we worked on it pretty steadily because then we were really able to get to the point to finish it. So, um, and then we kind of worked around my father's schedule so that, you know, even at his age, I'd call him and I'd say, like, can we come over and film? And he'd go, I'm busy. You know, I'm like, <laughs> okay. So it was like trying to really corral my father into, you know, being available and not on a deadline. So it was um, that was interesting as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that sounds it sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. And then when we actually, I mean, the interesting thing is we were, I felt we were almost done with the film about mm, maybe about six months before we finished, and then my father got a 3-D printer, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, my God, we're not done. This the whole other part of the story, and once we started filming him with the 3-D printer, it just kind of opened up other, um, not even other opportunities, but you know, at a certain point, if you're making a film about somebody, even if it's a parent, you know, uh, or a family member, you know, they they kind of get used to what you're doing at a certain point. It, you know, it doesn't matter how many films they've seen of yours. Nobody really knows what what's going on in the filming. And sometime after he got the 3D printer, he was like, oh, do you, you know, because I've been asking him about going to, like, his movie group or some place where I could film him, you know, in that kind of a setting. And he was a little hesitant, and then he, you know, said, oh, yeah, why don't you come to the movie group? I'll talk to them, and then the writing group. So then he got more involved in that as well. So actually having it take longer was helpful. Um, because I think we had more opportunities to film than we would have had of different kind of settings if we had finished it earlier.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And I also think that, you know, ironically, you know, during releasing the film during the pandemic, because we released it in May, helped us, you know, with audiences, because I do feel that people... I mean, it's important now to see a film about optimism, you know, a, a film about, um, you know, innovation, about, um, you know, aging well, toys. I mean, all the things that make you feel good about Eddie's world. I think that the, that the audience um, was... Uh, kind of ready this year, you know, was more receptive, and I think that um, that really helped us, you know, as well.
0: Yeah, so. and I always, I always feel that you with a film like this, like it, audience is really important because if they don't connect with it, then they're they're not interested. But right. th- it it was really good. I really did like the film. Thank you. Um, so, actually, uh, because of how kind of it's still developing, I mean, you said he recently had gotten the 3D printer. Do you possibly plan on continuing the story and maybe even expanding on it more?
1: Um, mm, probably not, although I don't really know. You know, I haven't seen my father for a year, you know, because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, you know, but I will see him soon again. Um, I'm, I do want to continue interviewing him because I felt actually I never finished. Um, because I kind of switched from a family legacy project to a, um, you know, to a film. Um, but I'm working with him more importantly now on he wants to write a book of a hundred the hundred word stories that he writes, so he wants to publish a book of a hundred hundred word stories, so I'm working with him on that now um, and so that's kind of my priority and um, yeah, I mean I'm not sure where another chapter of the film or another kind of you know version of the film would would go at this time but um, you know who knows
0: yeah that's always the thing who knows what could happen yeah yeah no but the story thing sounds really interesting
1: hmm yeah no that's um, I'm really happy to do that it's something he's wanted to do for a really long time and we kind of said this year okay
0: let's do it so <laughs> perfect Uh mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you worked with these big companies and uh, helped produce stuff, but now you have your own production company. What's what's mm-hmm. that like? Well,
1: it's um, uh, what's it like? Um, it, it, it's it's always on you to figure out your next project. You know, so. Um, uh it, it it's it's interesting you know i mean i like it i'm i've always been an independent filmmaker so um you know in one way or another but um it's challenging because you have to either raise money or um you know get a company behind it to pay for it and you know thinking of um you know always new ideas. Creative ideas, so um, it's, you know, it's very rewarding, and it's, you know, and it's not easy. Yeah,
0: but it's, you can look back on it and say, this is mine, I did it.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: It's always the most important. And I'm
1: very proud of that, I'm very proud that I have a body of work that's mine, so it's really nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, what is... Is there anything you want uh, people who watch Eddie's World to take away from the film?
1: Well, I I, I think the what I you know the probably the biggest message is the power of optimism. You know that we you know that it's more important to um to to look forward to the future to look on the bright side to um, as my father always said you know, when you're an inventor you learn to love failure as a filmmaker you learn to love failure you know, rejection more more rejection than failure you know, that um, um, and, but, but the way to survive all that is just to be optimistic and forward looking and I think it's really you know that we all have within us the power of creativity and innovation, and you know we should embrace in whatever form that that takes. And I think that's the you know the lesson of my father is, you know, um, live your life well, live your life you kind of with you know with optimism, with a spirit of you know, continue discovery um, and be creative in whatever you do. Wow,
0: that 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 is definitely some words of wisdom to live by. Yeah.
1: So you know, I don't know whether you've seen, but you know, Eddie's World is on YouTube, and um, we were licensed by. I mean, I licensed. Um, uh, Eddie's World to the New Yorker and they have a, um, a, a YouTube channel but if you look up Eddie's World on YouTube I'll you just put it the name you'll see we have like um, oh I think like right now 721,000 views oh wow yeah i mean it's incredible but we also have about 2,000 or, or close to 2,000 comments. And I often just, you know, go to that page and read the comments because these are all comments from people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, that have seen the film, they share the, they love the film, they share it. And it's really uplifting because you really can see... Um, from, from these few comments that people feel compelled to write of what the film meant to them. And, um, you, you know, it's, it, it, I think it would be nice if you have a chance to take a look at that.
0: Because
1: oh, okay. I think, you, you know, that even better than me talking about what the film means, is kind of what the film is meaning to people, you know, that are... Well that are seeing it like you for the first time, but I get to talk to you. you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> uh it, it it that's funny that you mentioned it being on YouTube because I was gonna ask um how people can find out more about uh the film where they can see it and even about you if they ever wanna talk to you about something.
1: Okay. So a couple of things. Um one that um it's on YouTube, so you just put Eddie's world and you can also um, go to our website, which is eddiesworld.net, you know, Eddiesworld, one word. And there, you'll, you'll there's the link to YouTube, there's the link to the New Yorker, um, there's other, you know, links. There's, there's um, a biography of my father, there's more about his toys, you know, so. You can get to, to know him a little bit, um, and then you can um, reach me um, at Lynn. At, um, uh, you can reach me on, through the website or at Lynn at eddiesworld dot right. Well, L Y N. We you know L-Y-N at eddiesworld
0: all right. And you can
1: reach him, although I definitely screen um you know, emails to him because otherwise he gets an embedded.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, thank you, Lynn, so much for uh talking with me today in the studio. It was it was a lot of fun. Well thank
1: you. It's been really nice talking to you.
0: Thank you, Lynn. It was a lot of fun, and once more, I really enjoyed the film. I can't express that enough. I, I remember the yakety yak teeth. I Never uh-huh. played with them. Yeah, because that was a different time, but I I remember them fondly.
1: Well, it's so interesting. And my that was you know my my father's first toy that he sold, and and that was in 1949, and that toy has endured throughout all these years, and people of every age that I know have played with it or seen it or know it, you know, from their own childhood. So it's very, it's been really interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's its a classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of went viral before <laughs> things went viral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Well, thanks again, Lynn, and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks again to Lynn Goldfarb for the interview. To learn more about her film, go to eddysworld.net, E-D-D-Y-S-world.net. To stream today's episode or any other episode of Artbeat, go to kqal.org and click the podcast tab. This is KJ on Artbeat. Artbeat is written and produced by KQAL-FM on the campus of Winona State University. Visit us on the web at kqal.org.